Trinity Baptist Church. Morning. Once I was searching for a love that was guaranteed, a love that was constant, a love that would never leave. You wouldn't have probably guessed that of me because I was raised in a very loving family. My dad was a Coast Guard pilot, which meant that we moved on the average every two years. My parents, though, made this moving fun and an adventure, except that I was almost always the new kid on the block, which meant that I was always learning the new playground games. I was trying to figure out the childhood cliques and which one to break into. And I was working hard to figure out this new grading system at the new school. I remember in Brooklyn at PS 207 that uh, I was on the uh, blacktop during recess and um, trying to figure out the circle games that the kids played with this red ball. And then the next year I was living in Alabama and we were, had recess in a field amongst pine trees. It was always changing. Lots of things changed. But the things that remained stable was my family and the furniture. That stayed the same from place to place. I believe I was seven or eight years old uh, when a classmate of mine, both her parents died in a car accident. And this was a shock to me. It started um, a pondering. I started to wonder what would happen to me if my parents were gone? Where would love come from? Then Jesus found me. And I entered an eternal loving relationship with God. I experienced a love and a hope and the promise of eternity. Jesus said he would never, never leave me. Today... I live in this relationship by faith. Living by faith means to take God at his word. So when I feel that God is not near me, I live by his word. In Ephesians, it says that his spirit is a deposit in me. He'll never leave me. He's near me. On those days when I feel like a failure as a mom, I know in his word that it says that, there, that he gives strength for my weariness and forgiveness for my wrongdoings. He's removed my sins as far as the east is from the west. The times that I don't feel good enough for God, I know that his word says that I am his child and that cannot be undone. My name is Cindy Queener, and I am new. In 2 Samuel 12, it says, The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. Now, the rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb that he had bought. He raised it, and the lamb grew up with him and his children, and it shared his food and drank from his cup. 
and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who'd come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for the lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. The word of the Lord. All right. That's my girlfriend. She's pretty cool. Uh, Good morning. My name is Ross Queener, and uh, I'm an elder here at Trinity Baptist. I'm going to be preaching the sermon this morning. Our pastor, Keith, has been on sabbatical for a while. And I I don't know if we'll recognize him. He's going to come back. He's going to have, like, a giant beard. We're going to be, who's that guy there in the front row? Oh, it's Keith. Wow. Yes, this morning I am preaching a sermon. I, you know, I, I'm so thankful, this is an aside, that uh, Cindy's family kept the same furniture. I mean, it, it's good that they knew from place to place that they were home. So that's a good job. Her folks are here, so nice job keeping that furniture. I don't know how you kept it in working order all those years, but that's awesome. Uh, sermon title this morning is Love Will Hurt. And as I read that a week ago, I just thought to myself, what was I thinking? I mean, this, this sounds like the title to a 1970s love song, doesn't it? It's, it's painful and, oh, love will hurt. Uh, well, here is what I was thinking. If you really care about somebody, if you really love them, periodically you're going to, going to have to speak into their life in a way that's going to be hard for them to hear. It's going to hurt. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's really important that we be in a position to to hear those things when people come to us. It's important for us to be able to speak those things to other people. So, sometimes, love will hurt, and it's a good thing. So let me pray for our time here this morning, and then we'll get rolling. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you, Lord, for your presence here with us. Lord, you honor us with your presence. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd fill us, and I pray, Lord, that that you would speak to us. Um, my, My preparation is great, but, Lord, your... Uh, your inspiration is priceless. And so I just pray that you'd be with us during this time, Lord, that you'd teach us. We love you so much, Jesus, and we pray these things in your awesome and powerful name. Amen. Now, the scripture that Cindy read is from an incident in which David, the king of Israel, had committed adultery, and then he committed murder to cover it up. And so uh, David had come to a place in life where he no longer really considered that the, the law governing the nation of Israel, God's law, applied to him. He was beyond it. And so the Lord called Nathan, whom David knew and respected and trusted, to open David's eyes to the severity of what he had done. Cindy stopped at verse 7, but down in verse 9 in that same passage, Nathan says this, Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, that's a pretty strong statement to say 
that David despised the word of the Lord. And if you know about David's life, uh, this creates kind of a contradiction, right? When, you, when we think of David, oftentimes we think of him as a man after God's own heart. Yes, absolutely. He's sort of like this special category of, of follower of Jesus, right? He, uh, you know, at the time, Yahweh, right? He didn't know about Jesus, but he would find out. Uh, and so uh, he's like this special category of guy. And yet, when Nathan comes to confront him, uh, Nathan says to him, you've despised the word of the Lord. How can this be the same man? And so the answer to this question is sort of what's at the heart of this sermon. Uh, what can we do to foster relationships where love will hurt? And not in a sadistic or a cavalier way, uh, but in a good, caring, uh, growth-oriented way. Right? In that sense, we do want love to hurt. And so, you know, we have to understand how, how can we reconcile these two things. On the one hand, uh, David is a man after God's own heart. On the other hand, he has despised the word of the Lord. Well, the first mention of the Lord seeking a man after his own heart comes in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 13. Saul was the first king of Israel, a man named Saul. And not long after he's anointed... Uh, he is commanded to go do something, and he commits a sin, a pretty obvious sin. And so Samuel, the prophet of the nation, comes to him and says, Saul, what have you done? And Saul's response is, well, you know, Samuel, look, we were in a bind here. The situation was getting critical. I had to act. It's really not that big a deal. Can you, can you just, you know, step off? And so uh, Saul's response to, uh, to being confronted with his sin is to play it off and say, it's not really that big a deal. Well, it's at that point that the Lord says, you know, I can't have a man like this leading my people. I'm going to find a man after my own heart. And so then we come to David, and David is the next king of Israel. And, you know, Cindy read the passage where Nathan confronts him with his sin, and he's forced to recognize that actually he's done something that's really, really terrible. And, and he has to go to the Lord with it. Well, David, uh, you know, his response to that sin, fortunately for us, is recorded in Psalm 51. And so we can see what David's process was as he deals with the, his own sin. Right? Verse 4 of Psalm 51. Against you, you only have I sinned. He's speaking to the Lord, right? And done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. There's a clear sense of ownership of sin with David. He says, you know, you're right. I am guilty. I did this and I'm wrong. I shouldn't have done it. And there's also a clear sense of God's goodness and his purity and his righteousness. And the fact that, you know what, Lord? You're right to judge me. You have every right to judge me because what I did goes against who you are. Verses 7 through 12, David says, Cleanse me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. 
And so you, you look at that, that little section of Scripture and all of those verbs that David's using, and these are things that he's asking God to do for him. He can't do these things for himself. Cleanse, wash, hide, blot out, create, renew, restore, grant, sustain. David knows that he can't take care of his own sin, that it's beyond him. And he knows that he's dependent on God. And then you go down to verses 16 and 17. And David says, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart God will not despise. The Lord doesn't want sacrifices. He doesn't want us to beat ourselves up for our failures. That's not what he's looking for. He doesn't enjoy uh, self-inflicted pain. What he's looking for is a sense of mourning over our own brokenness. Right, a sense that, that we're able to accept that we are broken, that we're fallible, and that it's something we should regret, that we should mourn about. This is what it means to be a person after God's own heart, a broken spirit and a contrite heart in response to sin. So the reality is having a deep love for the Lord didn't prevent David from, having, uh, or from behaving in a self-centered, self-serving way. Sometimes he did it. Uh, this, this ability to love the Lord and turn our backs on him, right? This isn't isolated to David. He's not the only one that's done that. Paul talks about it in Romans 7.15. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I don't do. But what I don't want to do, that's the thing I do. I've experienced this in my own life, and actually, the last really good fight Cindy and I had was a great example of this. There was this voice inside of my head telling me, shut up, shut your mouth, go to the next room, pray for a little while, just think about this. Unfortunately, I didn't take that counsel, right? Poured gasoline on the fire, bad man. And so, uh, you know, it's a case where the thing I didn't want to do, that's what I did. Uh, and the results were not great. Uh, fortunately, she's a good girl. We fixed, we uh, patched it up. Uh, but, you know, Romans 6 talks about the reality of this. In Romans 6, you read that our sin nature, that, that part of us, uh, it's, it's in us, it's inherent, it drives us to, to do our own thing and to ignore God sometimes. That our sin nature, when we give our lives to Jesus, is held powerless on the cross. Our sin nature isn't done away with, it's not dead, it's held powerless but it's still alive. And sometimes it convinces us to do really dumb things. Sometimes it convinces us to go against the Lord. And so this was the situation David was in. He really was a man after God's own heart, but he just listened to the wrong voice that time, right? Instead of following the Lord, he chose to go his own way. How do we keep from serving our own sin nature? Well, the, the theme of this sermon series, right, this is called Relate, uh, that has, that has a big part to do with it. It's not the only thing, but it's part of it. Relationship. Relationship can help us to keep from going the wrong direction. All of us need people in our lives that serve as advisors, counselors, admonishers, rebukers. Isn't that great to be a rebuker? Uh, probably not, but it's important. Encouragers, accountability partners. And Dave Page's first message, 
he talked about the relationship between Jonathan and David before David was king. And you know, in that period of David's life, he was really living a healthy, honorable life. He was honoring God with the things he did. I think that Jonathan's encouragement in his life was important to him at that point in his life. In Tim's second message, he talked about the way that uh, Naomi mentored Ruth, the way that Mordecai mentored Esther, the way that uh, Jethro mentored Moses. That mentorship was important for those people. It helped them to, to do the things that the Lord had called them to do. In the New Testament, Paul right, is famous for having spoken into Timothy's life. In 2 Timothy 2, Paul says this, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will be qualified to teach others also. Paul understands that the Lord wants to use him in Timothy's life. And he wants to make sure that Timothy understands that this is something Timothy should be doing also. He should also be active uh, building into other people, speaking into other people's lives, helping them to grow in Christ-likeness. And, and then those people also need to be doing the same thing. This is a message to us too, right? We need to be willing to be active in the lives of others. That is, as we become qualified, as we mature in Christ, we need to be willing to, to take the things that the Lord has given us and hand them over to other people. That's part of the process of the body of Christ helping itself to grow in the likeness of Christ. Now, there is another side of this coin, right? On the one hand, we need to be willing to speak into someone else's life. On the other hand, we need to be willing to receive it, right? And so there's a warning that comes with this. If you're going to be open to having someone else speak into your life, you need to practice a little bit of discernment about who's going to do that. And so again, we look at, at David, and there's a guy in this story, uh, if, if you were to read the whole story, you'd see a guy named Joab. And Joab was in David's inner circle. He was the commander of the military, the top military commander in the nation of Israel. Joab, just prior to David becoming king, uh, you know, there was a guy named Abner who was starting to build an alliance with David. He was starting to come under David's leadership knowing that David would become king. Well, Joab had an axe to grind with Abner, and so he lured him out into a secluded place, and he knifed him. He killed him. Uh, it was revenge murder. Now, this is obviously against the law. Uh, nothing happened to Joab. It was known that he had done this, and it was just sort of passed over. As David becomes king, uh, one of the first things that he wants to do is to take the city of Jerusalem. It's still in the hand of the Jebusites. And so David says, whoever leads the attack on the Jebusites will become commander-in-chief. Well, so Joab, son of Zariah, goes up first, and he received the command. And so here David is, uh, right, not a very good vetting process for someone in your inner circle. Uh, he makes Joab the commander of the military, the nation, this guy who's known to be a murderer. Well, how was Joab as an advisor? Right? Obviously, he's going to have an influence in David's life. He's very close to him. Cindy read that, that section of Scripture that talks about uh, Nathan confronting David. If you were to turn back one chapter earlier to 2 Samuel 11, the chapter starts this way. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent 
Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. So here we have this picture. Uh, you have the, the Israelite army lined up. They're ready to go. You know, the guys are wearing their, I don't know, battle sandals. I don't know what they wore. And they're, you know, I'm sure they had battle tunics, whatever, spears. They're ready. Joab is there. He's got on his armor, his helmet, his spear. And here's David in a bathrobe. Right? He's got a cup of coffee. All right, he's got the Jerusalem Post in his hand. He's like, all right, guys, you look awesome. Knock them dead. You know, I'll see you when you come back. Take care of yourself. At this point, Joab should have said, David, you got to get back in that house. You need to get that armor on and get out here. You belong at the head of this procession. You are the leader of these people. You're the leader of this nation. You belong with us. Get up there. If Joab was looking out for David's best interest and the best interest of the nation... He would have spoken into David's life at this point. Things would have gone very, very differently. But instead, Joab was more than happy to be the guy in charge. He actually loved it. And so off he goes, and David stays at home uh, to commit a terrible sin. Once David had committed adultery with Bathsheba, he decided that he needed to cover it up by committing murder, by killing her husband, Uriah. And so who does he go to when he wants to commit murder? He goes to Joab, right? Joab, he knew that Joab had already murdered somebody. He knew Joab would be comfortable with this. And so he goes to Joab as a co-conspirator. There is a little lesson here. If you are going to invite uh, someone who's a murderer into your inner circle, you are really making a way for yourself to become a murderer also, right? You, You sort of open the door for the potential. And I know most of us, uh, you know, it creates opportunity. Most of us probably aren't going to have a Joab in our lives. But, uh, you know, you think about all the things that you don't want to do in life, things that you just say, that's really jacked up. I do not want that to be true of me. If you surround yourself with people who are actively doing those things, you open a door of opportunity for you to do the stuff you actually don't want to do. So you need to be careful about the circle of people that you surround yourselves with. The Apostle Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good morals. Right? And in saying this, I'm not saying don't ever associate with people who live differently than you do. Right? That's not possible. That's not what we're called to. But you don't want to give people leverage in your life if they're living a way that goes against what the Lord has called you to. Right? That's the point. You don't want to give them that leverage. Uh, so yeah, most of us, uh, we won't have Joab sticking close to us, helping us to get away with murder. All of us, though, are constantly surrounded by a chorus of voices that are attempting to speak into our lives. And sometimes those voices come in print form. They might come through music. They might come through film. They might come in the form of friends or coworkers or family. Right? There are all kinds of voices that are seeking to speak into our lives. And, and again, this is not saying uh, you need to look at somebody else's list of what you should and shouldn't do and use that to limit your behavior. But what I am saying is uh, when you get exposed to these things, you need to look at the message. What is this telling you? And you need to compare that with Scripture. Does it jibe with Scripture? Does it resonate? Or is it going against it? Understand the message that, that you're being given. 
and understand whether or not that applies to you. And then if you choose to continue to be uh, exposed to those things, well, that's your choice, right? But at least you'll know that you shouldn't really ingest them, that you shouldn't let that influence your behavior. You know, sometimes I get ahead of myself in my notes, and then I have to find where I am again. Good. Okay, here we go. Found it. So, um, so you do, you know, that having been said, you do have to be proactive in, in making sure that the right messages are inside of you. You need to make sure that whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, that you will think about those things. Right? And that's from Philippians 4.8. And Paul's just giving us the same warning. You need to make sure that, you know, there are all of these messages in the world that are going to come to us, but you need to make sure that you are bringing the right messages to yourself, that you're spending time in Scripture, that you're spending time with the Lord. Simply ingesting everything around you and expecting to end up like Jesus is not living in reality, right? We have to make sure that if we, if we want to be like Jesus, we need to fill ourselves up with Jesus, and that's how it's going to happen. So, you know, that was a little, little bit about Joab, about the Joabs in our lives. Then there's Nathan, right? The Lord brought Nathan into David's life. Uh, he gave Nathan to David uh, as someone that would speak truth to him is someone that could tell him the way it is and David would accept it. And, you know, the first interaction we see between Nathan and David in Scripture is when David decides to build the temple. And he calls Nathan and he says, Hey, I have this idea. I'm going to build a permanent temple, a glorious temple for the Lord. And Nathan hears him out and says, You know, that sounds like a good idea. Go with it. Well, Nathan goes away, and then later the Lord speaks to him and says, David's not the one. It's a good idea, but somebody else is going to build this temple. So Nathan goes back to David, and he says, You know, David, um, I've got to tell you something. It's not you. You're not the one that's going to build this temple. It's going to be somebody else. Uh, David could have, at that point, shopped around for a second opinion. He could have said, You know, Nathan, I appreciate that, but you've really already given me the green light on this. I'm rolling. You know, just please go away. But he doesn't do it. He hears Nathan... And he says, all right, I accept that. I trust your word. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what you say. When David sinned by committing adultery and murder, Nathan was the one who was in a position to speak truth into David's life, to bring him back into reality, to help him see how terrible his sin was. Right? He, told him, he told him a story that involved sheep. Right? David, David understood that. He was a shepherd. It's important for all of us to have people like Nathan in our lives. Uh, They don't necessarily need to be our best friends, but they do need to be people that we respect and trust to tell us the truth. Sometimes best friends are afraid to do that. Sometimes people with a little more objectivity are in a better position to tell us the things that we don't want to hear that we need to hear. Recently, in an email to the elders, a congregant uh, started the email with this verse. Proverbs 27, 5 through 6. Better is an open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Can you guess what the tone of the email was? Right? Uh, It wasn't easy 
to read everything that this person had to say to us. But I am so thankful that this person took a step of faith, that they wanted to, to confront us in a very loving, respectful way, but they wanted to confront us about some things that they're concerned about. I am really thankful for that kind of input. It helps us to be more who God called us to be. It helps us to lead better. So how do we start this process? Where does this type of relationship come from? Well, the first thing that needs to happen for this to be true in our lives is that we need to be men and women after God's own heart. Uh, The best advice in the world is meaningless if we're not in a position to receive it. In last week's Coffee Break Verses, Fred, who James did a great impersonation of Fred up here, but Fred was the one that wrote the verses. Uh, Fred sent out, you know, a verse each day. Three of those verses were these. From Luke 7, I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me great love. But the person who is forgiven little shows only a little love. Psalm 37.3, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. John 14, if you love me, obey my commandments. Right, you think about these verses, and you see that uh, you know being forgiven by the Lord for your sin, allowing him to mend your brokenness, delighting in the Lord, living in obedience to his commands. If you're living that kind of life, you're in a position to receive the input that people are going to give you when it's, when it's stuff you don't want to hear. Sometimes people need to be able to tell you things you don't want to hear. Where can I find a Nathan? Is there anybody here named Nathan? I know our bass player is. Yeah, Nathan's going to be the most popular guy. He's going to be like, why does everybody want me in their lives? There was a whole sermon about you. Uh, Yeah, where can I find a Nathan? Well, sometimes you have to tell people that you want them to give you that kind of input. Sometimes you need to let people know I'm open to this, and you're a person that's in a position to give me this kind of input. I need for you to do it. We have to be proactive, right? And in my work, I lead, I lead teams with a um, Christian nonprofit called Crew. And, and I, I try to be careful to let my teams know that I need that kind of input from them, that if something isn't the way it ought to be, that I need to hear from them about it. You know, the people that have given me some of the best input over the years are people that are interns and part-time. And it's because, you know, the the long-term people, I think that they sort of become blind to the shortcomings of the organization and to my shortcomings. But people who are there for a brief period of time, who look at it with fresh eyes, they're the ones that see it. And I'm so thankful for the ones that have spoken up. You know, what a, again, what a tremendous step of faith for a new person to come in and see something and say, you know, here's this thing I noticed. I think you need to hear this. And that type of input has helped me to be so much better at leading people. It helps me to take, do a better job of not taking people for granted and making sure that I pay attention to their gifting as I think about, uh, you know, what sort of things should they be doing in their job. So I know in my own life that's been really helpful. Sometimes uh, somebody can be a Nathan for us because of the things they've experienced in life. Right, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble 
with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. We've all seen trouble in life. Some of us have seen a lot more of it than others, but we've all had our share of trouble. The Lord knows what we've been through, and even as he's been at work helping us to deal with that, he's been preparing us to help somebody else along the way. Your life experience matters to those around you. And, and sometimes we feel like, well, I, I don't know if I, sh- you know, who am I to talk, or I'm such a mess, and blah, blah, blah. Uh, you know, there's this great little Christian saying, uh, my, my faith is personal, but it's not private. Right? Which is to say, the Lord, uh, the Lord and I, you know, there are things going on between us that, that strike at the core of who I am. This is very personal stuff. And the Lord has done some really significant things in my life. That's very personal. But in Christ, I don't have the right to keep that to myself. Right? The Lord has been doing stuff in me so that at some point in time, I can speak into someone else's life because they need to hear it too. Right? And so it's important that we understand that, that though our faith is personal, it's not private. We also need to remember that a, you know, disciple or accountability partner, whatever, um, counselor, is not a perfect Christian. If you want to find a perfect Christian, you need to look for someone riding a unicorn converting Klingons to the Christian faith, right? If you see someone like that, then you've found the perfect Christian. Uh, Really, a good discipler, counselor, accountability partner is a person that's faithful in following Jesus and that, that lives a life of repentance and humility, right? Somebody that knows how to own their mistakes and knows how to get right with the Lord and then continue following Jesus, right? That's what we want. Um, so, so we're going to make mistakes, but when we repent, when we confess that, and then we get right with God, we, we start living the right way. We're actually in a place to tell other people not to live the way that we used to live, right? My children have heard all kinds of stories of what a fool I was as a young man and of all the dumb things I've done. Uh, I did some really dumb things. I'm hopeful that they will learn from my stupidity. That would be great. From my lips to God's ears. And so, um, yeah, we need to be willing. Uh, You know, regardless of how messed up we may feel that we are, uh, we need to be willing to recognize that the Lord may want to use us in someone else's life, that he is actually preparing us to, to have a powerful influence for good in the lives of other people. We're never too messed up. Uh, if, if Christ is at work in our lives, we're never too messed up to be used by God. And if you don't believe that, read the Bible, right? Some of those people are so jacked up. Uh, you just think, Samson, what in the world? And yet, you know, God used him. He's not a role model, uh, but he encourages me that if God can use him, well, then I think I can be used too. That's a good thing. There's one last way that I want to highlight that we can be, um, that the Lord has made it possible to connect with people in a life-giving way, right? When you, when you look around this congregation, when you look in this room full of people, we have an amazing variety of people from different cultures and ethnicities and from different work backgrounds, right? This is a fairly eclectic group of people. This is part of our riches in Christ. For anyone that attends Trinity, 
It's one of the things that we love about being in this church. And now, as we think about what it means to allow other people to have leverage in our lives, to allow people to speak into our lives, we need to expect that the Lord may want to use someone who's really different from us, right? If, if we're in this kind of a group of people, it's entirely possible the Lord's going to want to use somebody that's different from us, somebody that grew up speaking a different language, maybe somebody that has different colored skin, uh, somebody that grew up in a different country, whatever. The Lord may want to use such people in our lives. And, you know, that, that sounds really cool, right? Okay, I, you know, this multicultural thing and blah, blah, blah. Uh, loving people cross-culturally can be tough, right? There's a lot of space here for misunderstanding. There's a lot of space here to, to, um, to do something that's going to alienate people without really realizing that you've done it. It takes humility, empathy, patience, other-centeredness, you really sort of have to, to decide that you're going to be a learner about other people if you're going to relate well cross-culturally. Some of us come from cultures that have uh, uncomfortable relationships with other cultures, right? Uh, sometimes because of historic brutality or oppression, right? In Christ, we have to own our own cultural baggage uh, and learn to love and be loved by people that without Christ, we normally would have nothing to do with them. Right? If, if Christ wasn't in my life, there are a lot of people that I just wouldn't bother with because uh, I, I was really pretty intent on making sure that I was happy <laughs> before I came to Christ. That was my value. Um, it was a terrible thing. Uh, that's another story. But, but in Christ, we need to be open to that. And so uh, my friend Shamik, and I don't know, did, is Shamik here? I don't know he was going to be here. Uh, he and I were talking. All right, I see that hand, brother. Good to see you. So we were talking the other day. We were talking about music. And uh, he turned me on to a line from an Andy Minio song. Andy Minio is a Christian rapper. He's a white guy. And in a song, a recent release of his, he said that my own people owned people, but they don't own that. Right? My own people owned people, but they don't own that. Uh, you know, I need to be able to accept that the way white Americans have treated people of African descent, historically, uh, you know, can be described by brutality, and injustice and oppression, that's a reality. When the Emancipation Proclamation was signed, all of those, all of those uh, things that we were using to justify the way that we were behaving, uh, those things didn't just disappear, right? They were still in the culture. Slavery had been outlawed, but, but the reasons that we used to justify that behavior were still there. Uh, if you've watched the news, some of that stuff still seems to be at work in our culture, right? I don't want to shock anybody. I need to expect that, that some of that stuff may still be at work in me. You know, I don't want it to be, but that doesn't mean it isn't. And so I need to be open to input from other people. A lot of times, it's black people that are in the best position to give me better perspective on that and to help me understand that and help me to grow. And so it's really good that if I'm open to relationships right, with black people, even though in the U.S. right now, right, white-black relations, they aren't exactly the, the best, um, they can be better and I can be better, right, and so I need to be open to that. And then there are my relationships with Latinos and Asians and Southern Asians. Uh, you know, I need to approach people from a position of humility and as a learner and ready to hear from them because they just might tell me something that will help me become more like Christ. And that's really what I want. I want to be more like Christ. That's, um, sometimes that doesn't feel like the safest thing. 
But it's such an important thing if we're going to grow together to be the people that Jesus calls us to be. You, you know, you think, about, you think about David, and you think about uh, what his life might have been like if, in his circle of close advisors, Uriah the Hittite had been one of his close guys. Right? The Hittites were traditionally enemies of Israel, but Uriah loved Yahweh. He loved and followed Yahweh. He was a man of good, good character. If, if David would have brought him into his inner circle, David's life would have been so, so much better. This would be an entirely different sermon, wouldn't it? All right, to summarize, I'm at the summary point. Uh, we need to be men and women after God's own heart. We need to be aware of the Joabs in our lives. They're there. We need to seek out Nathans in our lives, and we need to be Nathan for other people. You know, that's something you can do even this week. You can look for opportunities to share with people what God has done in your life, right? There are people out there who need to hear from you, and so you can look for opportunities to do that. And we need to be conscious of the work required to derive benefit from engaging deeply with people that aren't like us. It's important. If we do those things, hopefully, love will hurt, right? Wouldn't that be great? Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for your goodness and grace. I thank you, Lord, for the things that you bring us through, for the things that you allow us to experience, and for the way that you, you help us to deal with those things. I thank you, Lord, for the way that you redeem us. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be men and women who can speak truth into one another's lives who can receive truth about ourselves. Lord, we want to become more like your son Jesus, and we know sometimes that's going to be difficult. Lord, help us, help us to walk with you so that that difficulty won't be a hindrance to us, but Lord, that we will just want to love you and be close to you. Thank you, Jesus, for this time. Amen.